Our title for this message is Finding Rest in Today's Society. And as you've probably noted, those of you that have been coming night after night, that these presentations are building one upon the other. And so uh, it's, it's, it's like a lot of puzzle pieces that are now coming together and forming a picture. And uh, the picture that we want you to see from Scripture is that we do indeed serve an amazing God and that there's an incredibly beautiful gospel and that centered in this whole story, there's a person, Jesus Christ, that wants a relationship with us. And I think that studying Bible prophecy really exalts Jesus and shows us clearly um, how we can belong to him. And um, so tonight, uh, I think we'll all be blessed, even if this is your very first evening with us, then uh, you'll surely be able to follow with this subject as we look at uh, finding rest in today's society. How can we have that relationship with God where we can rest in him? And uh, there's no doubt that this society, the society we live in is a hectic one. It's no doubt that uh, it is uh, difficult to find time with God, to find time to be alone with God because there's just so much going on. But there's this beautiful gift that the Bible introduces us to and that I want to introduce you to, 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 to tonight. And this gift is the Sabbath gift. And the Sabbath is a time that God has, has set aside in which he wants to dwell and fellowship with us. And uh, this subject is also actually tied into Bible prophecy as we are going to discover this evening. But isn't it interesting that we have today in society a seven-day week? And you know what? This seven-day week is actually right uh, its origin is, right found, is found right there in the Bible, in the scripture, in the very first chapter of the Bible. Maybe you've thought about it that, you know, we know why we have a uh, day. It's because that's the time it takes for our, uh, our Earth, planet Earth, to rotate on its own axis. And we know why we have a year, because that's the time it takes for planet Earth to rotate around the sun. And we also know why we have a month. It's based on the lunar cycle. But why actually do we have a seven-day week? There's actually um, uh, no explanation for that in a, in, as, as we gaze up into the universe or as we understand um, our planet based on its, its, its movement. But this is something that we find in Scripture. The seven-day week has its origin in Scripture. And I want to take you to the very beginning there in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 is the creation of the world, and in six days God created everything. And then right after he has finished creating, um, we read the following in moving now into chapter 2 and the first three verses. The Bible says, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were what? What does it say? Were finished. So he's finished with this creative work, but there's something left to be done. It says, and on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he what? Rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. And so when you open up your Bible and you start reading the story, um, you start reading about God that created the world and, and he spoke, let there be light and there was light and, and everything he spoke into existence. And then he created the first human being, Adam, and then, and then he created Eve and, 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 the, and he, he created this beautiful garden where they would dwell, the Garden of Eden. And you read about all this fantastic creation but then we are also introduced to God that sets aside a specific day, the seventh day. And uh, this is not because he was tired. It's not because God uh, was working very hard for six days creating the world and that he was physically tired and that he needed to rest in the same, that we, in the same way that we need to rest when we work. But this rest has more to do with God giving an example to each and every one of us and also setting aside a time in which he wants us to rest in him, not only physically, but spiritually, for us to, to behold the creative works that he has made and for us to have fellowship with him and to look upon everything that he has done and to dwell in his presence. 
And so God, when he created the first human beings on the sixth day, the first thing that they did was actually keep that seventh day Sabbath. They would spend time with God, they would be in his presence, and they would be able to look at all that God had done, and indeed it was very, very good. And throughout time, this is a pattern that God wants us to also experience, not just Adam and Eve in the beginning, but every single one of us. And so, as the seven-day cycle um, uh, takes place, every seventh day is a time where we can stop for a moment in our busy schedule and where we can consider that we have been created and that God created this world and we can dwell in the presence of God on that seventh day. Now, it's interesting because when you look at the history um, in our world today, there are many societies and cultures that have adopted the seven-day week. And again, I repeat that the seven-day week has its origin in the Bible. Now, at one point in history in Europe, um, during the French Revolution, during the late 1700s, France actually moved away from the seven-day week. They actually wanted to get rid of everything that had to do with God, everything that had to do with religion. They were so tired of the corrupted Christianity of their day that they just threw out everything. And guess what? When they established the French Revolution, when they established this new society, they, they, they also abolished the idea of a seven-day week. They, they abolished the seven-day week and they established a ten-day week. Well, it was only a matter of some years when they understood that that was just not doable. And they, re and they, actually, uh, turned, uh, they actually moved back to the seven-day week. So there's something about that seven-day week that has its origin in the Bible, and whenever people try to move away from it, it doesn't go very well, because it's the way that God has designed us to function. He has given us days, He has given us weeks, He has given us months, He has given us years, and this is all for a purpose. And the seven-day week is actually a gift from God, and God says, you know what, just like I created in six days and I rested on the seventh day, so I want you to go out in your life and you can create, you can, you can uh, work, you can, you can do all the things that, 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 that your hands and your mind find to do, but, but on that seventh day, I want to have that time as a special time with you. I want you to lay aside your work and, and enter into my presence. I want you to consider where you came from. I made you in the beginning, and I want to spend that special time with you. Well, we're going to go on a little journey here tonight, and we're going to take this Sabbath concept, this seventh-day concept that we find from creation, and we're going to look where else do we find it in the Bible. Well, I want to bring you to a story in the Old Testament, in the second book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus. Uh, you'll remember that the story of Exodus, a fascinating story. God's people are enslaved in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years. God then delivers them out of Egypt. We've been talking about this before. And as they are brought into uh, the wilderness and before they enter into that promised land where God would give them a, a home, they are in the wilderness and God is providing for their physical needs as they are dwelling in that wilderness. They had nothing to eat. And so God would provide what was called manna. It was like this little white flakes that, were, that just rained down from heaven. And it would be there in the morning as they would get up and, and, they, would, and they would walk through the camp. They would see this, this white manna on the ground. And it was like a sweet kind of bread. They would actually make bread or cakes out of it. And it was, it was the way that God sustained his people during their wilderness dwellings. But there was something fascinating about the manna. And you can read this story in the, book of, in the book of Exodus chapter 16. The Bible tells us that for six days, from the first day of the week until the sixth day of the week, the manna would fall every day. And so when they would wake up, they would go out, and, and the first thing that they would see is manna on the ground, and they would gather together the manna, and, and it would sustain them. It would be the bread that they would eat. It would be the nourishment that, that, that would help them physically, and, and, and it would be right there every single day. But the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 16 that on the sixth day of every week, there would be a double portion of manna. And so as they would gather day by day the manna, if ever they gathered too much or they would, or, or they would not use the manna, then it would rot. 
the next day, so they couldn't use it, and they had to get fresh manna. But then the Bible tells us that on the sixth day, when the manna fell, that was the day that they would get a double portion, and so they were able to gather not just for that day, the sixth day, but they were also able to gather for the seventh day. And the Bible tells us that that's the only time in the week that the manna did not rot. It didn't waste away. It was right there, fresh and ready for them to eat on the seventh day. In other words, this was a weekly miracle of God to show them that he would sustain them, but also to show them that they needed the rest that God would provide. Oh, on all the six days, they would go out and gather the manna, but, but on the seventh day, they didn't need to go out and gather the manna because they already gathered on the sixth day. And God would spend that special time with them. He would spend that Sabbath rest with them. He was teaching them week by week that he wanted them to remember that he was their creator, he was their sustainer, he would take care of them, and they could safely rest in him. Well, we fast forward the story, and actually throughout the Old Testament, there are, there are example after example of God's people that kept the seventh day, the Sabbath. They, they, they used that day to remember where they came from, that God is the creator of this universe and the creator of this world. And when we get to the New Testament, it's interesting because we read about Jesus and the Bible tells us that for Jesus, his custom was also to gather with God's people on that seventh day Sabbath. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says, So he came to Nazareth, talking about Jesus here, where he had been brought up and as his custom was, in other words, this is what he would do regularly, this is what he would do weekly, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So Jesus, what, what, what was life like for Jesus? Oh, he would go around, he was the itinerant preacher, and he would heal, and he would do great miracles, and, but there was still a special day in the week for Jesus, and that was the seventh day. He would gather together with other believers and he would be there in the presence of God, in the presence of like-minded uh, brothers and, and sisters, and he would be fellowshipping and preaching and sharing the truth of God's word. Well, how about the first Christians? How about the early Christians, the disciples? As you move through the Gospels, you find uh, uh, example after example of, of, of people that are, that are uh, considering this seventh day as, as something of special significance. And then we get to the book of Acts, which is the story of the early disciples. And also within the book of Acts, we have example after example of the early Christians gathering together on that seventh day Sabbath. In Acts chapter 13, for example, we read that they went out into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. And a little bit, some chapters on, in chapter 16, we see that they were gathering together on the seventh day. This time, they didn't gather together in a synagogue, but they gathered together outside in nature. But again, it was a significant, special moment where they would be gathered together and where they would remember God's creative works. He created the world in six days, and he set aside that seventh day. Acts chapter 16, it says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. And so again and again, we have biblical examples, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, of God's people considering this seventh day as a special moment in the week. We have the weekly cycle, but that seventh day was a day that God set aside, he sanctified it. And, and when, it's, when it uses the word sanctified there in Genesis, it means that it was set aside for a holy use, for a holy purpose. And that purpose was for God to dwell with his people so that every seventh day we would be reminded where we came from. Every seventh day, we would be reminded that we come from a God that created us, and he didn't create us to just go on and on and just do work and work without any rest. No, God created us to work, yes, those six days, but that seventh day is a day that he wants to spend with us. And it's a day, not only just of physical rest, but it's a day of spiritual rest where we can fellowship with others, where we can read God's word, and where we can be reminded that we are made in the image of God. 
Well, again, we fast forward the story. And I want to take you now to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, because what about this seventh day, this Sabbath, in the end of time? You know, we see that the seventh day has a significance in the beginning there in creation, in Genesis. We see it had a significance for God's uh, Hebrew people when they were brought out of Egypt. We see it had significance for Jesus. We see it was definitely significant for the early Christians. But what about us in the end of time? What about us living here as we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus? Well, in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, this is written by none other than the, than the, uh, the disciple uh, John, the beloved disciple. And he was banished there on the island of Patmos. And it was here that he wrote the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, uh, he gives us a picture of what is going to come and what is going to happen in this world before Jesus Christ comes again the second time. And there's a significant chapter in the book of Revelation, and it's chapter 14, where John basically gives us an outline of three special messages that need to go into all the world before Jesus comes again. And actually, in the course of the next couple of evenings, as we're going to gather to hear and study together God's Word, we're going to actually look at these three messages. Sometimes they are referred to as the three angels messages you find them in revelation chapter 14 as a matter of fact this is interesting because in revelation chapter 14 and verse 14 there is a description of the second coming of jesus and right before that description of jesus coming we have these three angels that appear the first angel comes and pronounces and proclaims a message that must go to the whole world. Then the second angel comes with another message that must go to the whole world. And then finally, the third angel comes with a message that is of uttermost importance and needs to go to the whole world. And after these three messages have been given to the entire world, then the end comes and Jesus returns. Now, these angels that we read about in Revelation chapter 14, it's really a symbolic picture of a message because an angel is a messenger. So when you read about three angels that are proclaiming these three messages, it's really you and I that are called to proclaim these messages. These messages will be proclaimed by human beings that are inspired by the word of God, that see the significance of these messages and want to share them with others. But the angels will definitely be by our side when we proclaim these messages. Because God's angels and God's spirit want to see that this message goes into all the world to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. Well, tonight we're going to look at that first angel's message and how it connects us back to the creator of all things. Take notice of Revelation chapter 14, and we're right there in verse 6 and 7. Here we have what we call the first angel's message. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So it starts off with the most important, the most important thing ever, and that is the everlasting gospel. Can you say amen? That's the most important thing. Whenever we preach prophecy, we always need to uplift Jesus. Amen? Because this is, the very, this is the most important message that needs to go, not just to one nation, not just to one tribe, not just to one people group, but the Bible tells us that it is to go to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. The whole world needs to know about the goodness of God revealed in the character of Jesus Christ. And so the first angel's message is a message that you and I are privileged not only to experience, but are also privileged to proclaim to others. And that's the everlasting gospel. Then in verse 7, this, this is con continuation of this message. It says, saying with a loud voice, so the angel has a loud message. You and I are to give a loud message. And the loud message is this, fear God and give glory to him. Now, this doesn't mean to be afraid of God. Actually, the word fear here means to be in awe, to, 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 to give reverence uh, to God, to honor Him. So fear God, honor God, give glory to Him. And then it says, for the hour of His judgment has come. And listen to this, the last part of verse 7. And worship Him who did what? Here's the key word. What does it say? Who? Made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Isn't it fascinating that in the end of time, we have a message that reminds us that we should worship the one who made. 
We are being brought back to the beginning. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we read about God that created the world in six days and he, and he took a step back. It's like an artist that is at work that has just finished his painting and looks, takes a step back and looks and is satisfied with the product. So Jesus, God has created the whole world, takes a step back, says it is very good. But then sin enters into the picture and we have this conflict between good and evil. But in the midst of the conflict between good and evil, God wants human beings to remember that he's the creator. And so he gave us a gift and that gift is the Sabbath. So that every seventh day we will remember it's God that made the world. It's God that established everything that we see and we can belong to him. He wants to spend time with us. He wants a friendship with us. And we're reminded of this every single week on that seventh day, God wants us to remember. To remember what? To remember that he made, that he made. And so in the end of time, that first angel's message, that great proclamation that must go into the world is a proclamation of the gospel, the everlasting gospel. It's a proclamation to fear God and give him glory. It's a proclamation that the hour of his judgment has come, but it's also a proclamation that we are to worship him that has, can you say it all together? Made. Amen. Let's try that once more. There was just a few people. Okay. Worship him that has made. made. Amen. That has made what? Well, the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And guess how we worship him who is made? By remembering the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, take notice of the very words that are used here in the first angel's message, the very language and phrases that are used. Worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of the water and compare that with the fourth commandment about the Sabbath. Now, it's interesting. Not only do we have the Sabbath right there from creation, not only do we have stories about the Sabbath throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, not only do we have reference to the Sabbath throughout the New Testament, not only do we have a reminder of the Sabbath in the end of time, but also in the very heart of God's commandments, we have the fourth commandment, which is a commandment about what? The Sabbath. Now, take notice what it says, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day. What do we do when we remember the Sabbath day? We remember our creator. Amen. He created the world in six days. He set aside the Sabbath day. To remember the Sabbath is to remember God. Amen. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Look at this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall, do no, you shall do no work. For in six days the Lord, here's the key word, what did he do? For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the Sabbath day, seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So right in the heart of the Ten Commandments, we are being given an identifying mark of how we can worship God. Because we worship God by, of course, keeping the commandments of God. We don't steal, we don't commit adultery, we don't murder, all these things. But, but in the very heart of the commandments, in the fourth commandment, we are shown who we actually worship. We worship the God that made. We worship the God that wants to dwell with us on that seventh day. And I can tell you from my own experience that the seventh day is a tremendous blessing. When we're talking about finding rest in our chaotic society, it is a, a, an enormous gift that God has given to humanity and to each one of us personally when we can actually take that time off that we, can, that we can lay aside our work and that on that seventh day, we can actually have an appointment with none other than the creator. That we can have an appointment with God. It's like God saying, you know what? I want to meet you. Oh, I can, God can meet you any day. So don't, understand, don't, don't misunderstand me. God can meet you at any moment, any day, day, night, 24, seven, seven days a week. But there is a special time that he has set aside, according to scripture, in which he wants to meet with you, and that is the seventh day Sabbath. And on that day, you can enter into not only a physical rest, and certainly also a physical rest, as you lay aside the, the burdens of the week and you lay aside the, the work that, you're, that you've been engaged in, but even, even more than that, he wants you to enter into a spiritual rest where you can dwell with him, where you can be re-inspired, uh, where you can be inspired and renewed 
in your spiritual walk and where you can remember that actually God is the one that created this world. And you can remember that it's not you that have to take care of all of your, uh, all of your problems and trials and, tribul- and, and, and all the things that face you, but that you can actually rest in God and you can say, God, I know that you are my creator. And because you created this world, you can also take care of those problems that I'm facing right now. You know, isn't it interesting that every day they had to gather that manna And so every day, it's like every day we have to make sure that we, you know, have enough to eat and to feed our families and to to do the very things that are required of us. But but God says, you know what? You you do all your work there, but but on that seventh day, I'm gonna I'm gonna provide enough on the sixth day that you don't need to go out on that seventh day to gather that manna. I will provide for you so that you can rest in me. And you know, if I had if, if the time would have allowed me tonight. I could share with you so many amazing testimonies of people around the world that have caught on to this idea of Sabbath keeping, that have caught on to this idea that actually God provides for us. You know, I'll tell you one quick story. I was in New Zealand, which is the country of my birth, and I was preaching a prophetic series like this, and there was a young man that came to the series, and and he he learned about this Sabbath truth for the first time, and he said, you know what? I really want to keep God's Sabbath. I really want to enter into that experience that you're talking about, but I have a problem because on the seventh day of the week, I'm working, and and the commandment tells me that that I shouldn't work, but I, I want to enter into that rest of God. What do I do? And I said, you know what? You know, talk with your boss. And he said, oh, but he's not going to give me that day off. I said, you know, we'll pray. And we prayed and he went to his boss and he said, you know what? I need the seventh day off. <laughs> and, his, and his boss looked at him and he said, um, you come back tomorrow. and We'll talk about this. And he said it in a very strict way. And, and so he called me up and he said, you know what? This is not going to work. I'm going to lose my job over this. And I said, let's pray. And we prayed. And the next day he went back into that office. And his boss was there and, 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 he, and, he, and his boss said, Have you, are you really sure you want to do this because there are going to be consequences? And he said, I'm really sure. Even if I lose my job, I want to be faithful to God and I want to keep his Sabbath. And his boss said, you know what? I don't want to lose you. You're a good worker. And so he was promoted and he got a better job, a better situation, and he had the Sabbath off. And I can tell you about so many experiences like that where God comes through. And if we're faithful to his word, he's going to be faithful to us. What do you say? Fascinating. Now, the Sabbath is not only a a memorial of creation, which it certainly is, but there's even more to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is also a reminder, not only that we are created, but also a reminder that we have been saved by grace and that Christ has paid the price for us. Now, the commandment is first mentioned there, even though it's already uh, the Sabbath concept is right all through Scripture, but, but the commandment is given in Exodus chapter 20. But then when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book in the Bible, which is actually the word Deuteronomy means the, re- the, re- the repeating of the law. And so here Moses, as he writes to the people of, 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 of um, the, the Hebrew people, he writes about the commandments and he reiterates the commandments and he repeats the commandments and he also talks again about the Sabbath. Now, as you look at the description that is given in Exodus, its focus is on the one that made the creation. As you go to the book of Deuteronomy and Moses repeats the commandment of the Sabbath, he gives it a little bit of a different focus, which is very interesting. He says the following, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Now listen to this. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by a what? An outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So, In Exodus, the Sabbath is to be kept based on God being the creator of everything. In Deuteronomy, when the commandment is repeated, Moses says, you know what? You are to keep the commandment because you have been set free from Egypt. Now, to be set free from Egypt, we've talked about this before. It's not just about being in bondage in literal Egypt. We have all been set free from another type of Egypt. Remember, we talked about this. Egypt is a type of the bondage of sin, right? And there's another, there's another outstretched arm, and that's on the cross of, 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 of um, 
the cross on, on the Mount of Calvary, Jesus stretched out his arm. He paid the price for our sins. He died for us in order for us to enter into his rest, to be able to experience the Sabbath. We experience the Sabbath because we've been created in the image of God. We also experience the Sabbath because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Now, Hebrews chapter 10, I've shared this verse with you before. Uh, we've talked about the covenant that God wants to enter with every single one of us. The Bible says, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. My friends, the commandments, including the fourth commandment of the Sabbath, is a commandment that God wants to write, not just in stone, but he wants to write in your heart and in your mind. And when God writes the seventh day Sabbath, that commandment in your heart, what he's actually writing in your heart is a, it's a gift. He's saying, I want to spend time with you. I've set aside this time and this is sacred and I want you to be able to come into my presence. And this is a tremendous gift that God has given to every single one of us. In Matthew chapter five, verse seven, 17 and 18, Jesus said the following, he says, "'Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass, from the law till all is fulfilled. Some people say, you know what, the, the law of God is just done away with and we don't need to keep it anymore. We live under grace, we live in the new covenant. But if you study the Bible carefully, the new covenant that God wants to establish with us is the very covenant that is described there in the book of Hebrews that we read a moment ago, where it says that he wants to write his law in our hearts. The difference between the old and the new covenant is not that the law is done away with. The difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is that in the old covenant, the law was written in stone and the people looked at it and they said, we'll try it, we'll keep it, but they couldn't, but in the new covenant, the law is written in the heart and the spirit gives us the ability to walk in obedience. Amen. And so God wants to enter into that new covenant with us. And just like Jesus fulfilled the law, in other words, he lived it out, he exemplified it. So he wants us to also walk in obedience to him. But now let's ask a very important question as we look at this subject of the Sabbath and the seventh day. What is actually the seventh day Sabbath? Which day is it? The Bible actually reveals this to us. If we go to the book of Luke, chapter 23, and the very end of that chapter, and then we move into the 24th chapter, it describes the crucifixion of Jesus. And I want you to take notice that as it describes the crucifixion of Jesus, it also gives us a picture of the sequence of days. Now take notice, it says, that day, in other words, the day that Jesus was crucified was the preparation. And this is what the Jews would call the preparation day because they prepared for the Sabbath. It says it was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. Now listen and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandments. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So what we find here is Jesus was crucified on the preparation day. He was in the tomb on the Sabbath, and then they came on the first day of the week, or what we would call today Sunday, and this was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so the preparation day, Friday, the sixth day, then we have Sabbath or Saturday, the seventh day, and then we have the resurrection day, Sunday, or what we also call the first day of the week. The sequence is very, very clear in scripture, and it's very clear also, by the way, in languages. There are more than a hundred languages in our world today where actually the, 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 um, the word Saturday is the word Sabbath. And so it's, there's, there's really little um, uh, confusion on this matter. The confusion actually comes in in some countries, and by the way, that's a country where I'm from in Norway and other European countries where they have actually changed the calendar and the seventh day has now become the Sunday, but, but that's not originally that way. That was a change that came in later. 
Now, where does this actually, this whole idea of, um, of, of this change from Sabbath to Sunday, where does it actually come from when we go back into history? Well, let's go to the time of Constantine for a moment. And it's interesting, we talked about this before, that if you look at church history, you can basically divide it into, into these different phases. The church was formed in the beginning by Jesus, and when the disciples went out, they preached the gospel and, 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 they, and they taught the scriptures, but then there came a time of deformation, a time of the dark ages, a time where tradition was, was coming in and taking the place of clear scriptural teaching. And that's why there was a need, ultimately, for a reformation for things to be restored, for things to be discovered. But the beginning of this time of deformation or these, this time of, of pagan traditions entering into the church can really be traced back to the time of Constantine. Constantine was the first Christian emperor. Now, I, I, I say Christian quote-unquote because it almost seems like it was more of a political move than anything else. There were a lot of Christians in Islam, but there were also a lot of pagans in Islam. And so in order to find peace between the two, he became a Christian and Rome became a Christian nation, but he brought a lot of the pagan traditions with, uh, into Christianity. You know, uh, uh, the, the, this statement puts it very well. Christianity became an established religion in the Roman Empire and took the place of paganism, Christianity as it existed in the Dark Ages might be termed baptized paganism. It's like, you know, you take this, 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 this um, pagan tradition, okay, now we're just going to put it under water, and now we're just going to call it Christian, right? And there were a lot of traditions and a lot of ways that the pagans worshipped that now were brought into Christianity. Constantine, in the year 321 AD, he said, On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest, and let all the workshops be closed. What he is now doing is he's instituting a Sunday law. Sunday became now the significant day in the Christian realm. Now, what was happening is we need to understand a little bit of the history here, because remember that Christianity started in Israel. It started in Judea. It had Judaic roots. It had Hebrew roots. And as it started to spread into the world, they were teaching the scriptures, including the seventh-day Sabbath. And Christianity was growing and growing and growing over the centuries. And as it was growing, a lot of the converts that were coming into Christianity were from a variety of nations, including a lot of Greeks. And, and, and Greek thinking was something that was being spread in the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, the Hellenistic thinking was something that was regarded as, as very important. And so the Hellenistic philosophers were esteemed in those days. And at the same time, as Christianity was growing and a lot of different countries and, and, and nations and, and people were now embracing it, they were looking kind of back at the, at the origin of this movement and they wanted to actually separate themselves from the Hebrew roots because Israel was kind of that country that was a little bit mar marginalized on the margins and they didn't want to have so much to do with this. And so this anti-Judaic thinking combined with this Hellenistic philosophy that was coming in caused a lot of things within Christianity to change. And they were looking at this and they said, you know, this Sabbath really just belongs to the Jews. But there's nothing in Scripture that actually says that. As a matter of fact, it says the opposite. The Sabbath is a gift for all humanity, for every, all people groups. But they said, you know, the Sabbath is something for the Jews. And so they established now a new day of worship, which became the Sunday. The Sunday. Um, Sabbath is actually a Hebrew word signifying rest. Sunday was a name given by the heathens to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshipped the sun. And so in paganism, it was worshipping of the sun. And now as it was brought into Christianity, it became the worshipping on the sun day. Very interesting history. Here, taken from the Catholic world, listen to this. The sun was a foremost god with heathendom. There is in truth something royal, kingly about the sun, making it a fit emblem of Jesus, the son of justice. Hence the church in, those, in these countries would seem to have said, keep that old pagan name. It shall remain consecrated, sanctified. And thus the pagan Sunday dedicated to Baldr, which was a god, became the Christian Sunday sacred to Jesus. You see, there was a change that came in here. And this change didn't happen overnight. 
It happened gradually. There was actually a time that the Christians were keeping the seventh day Sabbath and then it began keeping more and more the first day of the week and less and less the seventh day of the week. And so there was eventually this change that came in and history is very clear on this. But not only is history clear on this, prophecy is also clear on this. And right now, if your seat has a seat belt, you better put it on because we're gonna go for a little rough ride here. And I'm gonna show you some things that I think will startle you quite a bit. Okay, so put on your seatbelt. We're in for a little bit of turbulence here. Uh, we're gonna look at some, some quotes here that are actually taken from the uh, Catholic Church. And we talked about this earlier when we identified the Antichrist in scripture. Uh, we talked about how the Catholic Church is actually, the Church of Rome is actually seeking to bring a change in the very commandments of God. Now, if you weren't here, what was it? Um, not yesterday, but I think it was Monday um, or Tuesday. We, no, it wasn't Tuesday. Tuesday we had off, I think it was Monday. We looked at this topic of the Antichrist in Bible prophecy. So I'm going to give you a real quick review and then we're going to we'll get right into some of the claims that the Church of Rome has made regarding the Sabbath. But in Daniel chapter 7, there's this amazing prophecy and it's a prophecy where Daniel in a night vision sees four beasts. And these four beasts, they come up one after the other. And we don't have to guess what the beasts mean because the Bible tells us that the beasts are representing what everyone? Kingdoms, right? You remember? Babylon is represented by the lion with the wings. It is followed by Medo-Persia, which is the bear with the three ribs in its mouth, followed by Greece, which is the leopard with the four wings and the four heads. And then finally, the fourth beast is the fourth kingdom, none other than Rome itself, the dragon-like beast with the ten horns on its head. Now, in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25, we actually have a description of what this little horn would do that came up among those 10 horns. Now remember, we go from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome, and then Rome, represented by that fourth beast, has 10 horns, and the Bible tells us that the 10 horns are representing 10 kings which after the division of the Roman Empire that was divided into those 10 regions, and then out of those regions, right there, comes a little horn. And we already identified this on an earlier night, that that little horn is none other than, than the very Church of Rome. Out of pagan Rome came papal Rome. Now take notice what this little horn would do according to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. The Bible says that he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change something. What would he intend to change? times and law. Then the saint shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. This little horn power, which bears all the identification marks of Rome that was now coming up. And by the way, that little horn, when he came up, he pushed out three of the other horns. In other words, this little horn power, when it came up, it pushed out three other nations to, to gain prominence. And it was the church of Rome that defeated the Vandals and the Ostrogoths and the Heruli nation in order to come up at that very time, at that very place. And as they came into power, they started attacking something. They started attacking the very times and laws of God. When you think about the Ten Commandments and the law of God, is there a specific commandment within the Ten Commandments that deals with time? Yes, right? Which commandment? The fourth commandment. The fourth commandment is the commandment that says, you know, uh, remember the Sabbath. Remember the seventh day. And so we must ask the question, has Rome trampled with the fourth commandment? And this is the time that you need to put on your seatbelts because now it's going to get turbulent. And take a look at what the Rome itself claims as their authority in these religious matters. Okay? This is what they claim. The Pope has power to change times to abrogate laws, and to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. So the Church of Rome makes the claim itself that it can actually change times and laws. Now take notice of this. The Bishop of Rome is of so great authority and power that he can modify, explain, or interpret even divine laws. The Bishop of Rome can modify divine law since his power is not of man but of God, and he acts as vice-regent representative of God upon earth. We talked about this earlier. The name Antichrist is not just being against Christ. Anti can also mean instead of. And so this Antichrist power is not just opposed to the things of Christ, but he seeks to take the very place of Christ. 
And he seeks to do so by changing times and law, by even, uh, even attacking the very commandments of God. Faith of Our Fathers, by, written by Cardinal James Gibbons. Listen to what he says here. He says, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And you will find, not find, a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. I'm so glad that they're so upfront with what they're doing. He says, you won't find it. Read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There is not a single line in Scripture authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The Scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday, the seventh day. He's very clear. They're very clear on this. Catholic record says Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. And, you know, I, I, I've spoken with people that, 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 that have looked into this history, and, and it's very obvious, and, and you can even speak to those that belong to, to this church that we're talking about right here, and many will be very upfront with you that, yes, there has been a change in history, and we're unapologetic about that change because the church has the authority to bring in these traditions. And so you have to just make a decision yourself. Are you going to abide by the traditions of man or by the Word of God? Are you with me? You must make a decision. Are you going to go by a thus saith the, 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 the Lord or a thus saith man? But if you want to go by the word of God, you really only have one choice. Because from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is clear. It is the seventh day that is sanctified. It is the seventh day that is set aside. It is the seventh day that God has sanctified and blessed and given as a gift to us all. In the converts' catechism of Catholic doctrine, the question is asked, which is the Sabbath day? And the answer is given, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Then the question is asked again, why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? And the answer is given, because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. And if you're here tonight and you say, yeah, but I think that's perfectly okay. I think it's perfectly okay that a church has the authority to look at God's commandments and it says the seventh day. I think it's perfectly okay that they transfer that day to Sunday, then go ahead and keep Sunday. But if you say, I don't think that's okay, I don't think that man has the authority to tamper with God's word, I don't think it's okay that man can change the commandments of God, then guess what? then you can receive the gift tonight of God's seventh-day Sabbath. Amen? It's so clear. The scriptures are clear. Alexander Hislop in The Two Babylons, he writes, to consolidate the pagans to nominal Christianity, Rome, pursuing its usual policy, took measures to get the Christian and pagan festivals amalgamated and to get paganism, now far sunk in idolatry, in this, as in so many other things, to do what? To shake hands. But can they really shake hands? Can you really take the, the traditions of man and the explicit word of God? Is it possible to merge those two together? Well, I would say tonight, no. I would say tonight that we need, to, we need to take back the layers of tradition that have also come into the Protestant church. We need to take back the layers of tradition and say, you know what? I want to come back to the plain teachings of Scripture. I want to worship like Jesus worshiped. I want to do what the early apostles did. I want to receive the gift of God's seventh day Sabbath. And I want to meet him right when he has appointed that meeting to take place. I want to be faithful to scripture and faithful to his commandments. Because we all have a choice. And that choice is between the commandments of God and the commandments of man. It's between the plain scripture, the word of God, and the traditions that have come in throughout the centuries. But maybe you're saying like, yeah, but what's the big deal? I mean, you're only talking about a day, whether it's one day or the other day. Does it really matter that much? Well, it's interesting. When you go back to the book of Genesis, the story that begins is that God created the world in six days, and then he sanctified the seventh day, the Sabbath. And then right as you get into chapter two, God, he makes this beautiful garden of Eden, and he places mankind in that garden. And he says, you may eat of all the trees except one. There's one tree I don't want you to eat from, which was, by the way, the test that God gives to mankind at the beginning. He says, there's a tree in, in the garden. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You may, again, eat of all the other trees, but not that one. What if Adam and Eve just went around and said, you know what? It doesn't really matter which tree. 
Uh, we can call that one the, <laughs> the tree of knowledge of good and evil or that one. It doesn't really matter exactly which one God appointed. Did it matter? Oh, it mattered absolutely. When God says something, this is the question. When God says something, is he specific? Oh, absolutely he's specific. He's specific all through scripture. When God said, okay, I'm going to give you manna for six days, and then on the sixth day, I'm going to give you a double portion of manna, so you don't need to gather on the seventh day, but on the seventh day, I'm not going to give you any manna, and the sixth day, that manna that you, the double portion you received is not going to rot, it's going to be okay for the seventh day. Was he specific in what he did? Absolutely. I mean, if you said, ah, it doesn't really matter, I'll just go out, you know, on, 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 on the seventh day, and I'll try to find some manna, you wouldn't find it. God, when he says something, he is specific. There's this amazing story when the Hebrews, uh, they come from their wilderness dwelling in those, all those years, those 40 years, and now they're finally moving into the promised land of Canaan. And there is uh, an enemy nation that they're faced by uh, there in the city of Jericho. And, and God calls upon his people and says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to march around that city. You can read this story in the book of Judges. And God says, I want, to mar I want you to march around this city for six days. I want you to march once around the city. And on the seventh day, I want you to march seven times around the city. And then I want you to blow the trumpet. And so God's people start walking one day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. On the seventh day, they circle that city seven times. And when they have circled the city seven times and they blow the trumpet, there is a mighty earthquake and the walls come tumbling down. Now I'm thinking to myself, what would have happened if they marched around that city, let's say five times, and they got tired and they said, you know what, we're just going to go home. If they went home, would, would the walls have come tumbling down? No. God is specific when he says something. There's another incredible story of a man by the name of Naaman, and Naaman is, uh, is struck by a sickness called leprosy and it was incurable and he was basically just rotting away but then he thought to himself I have no hope but but let me try this one thing that he heard about there was a little servant girl which was uh, was which was taken captive from Judea and she taught and she and she from Israel and she shared with Naaman about the living God and and about a prophet that was in her nation that that could perhaps help him and so he says, well, I have nothing to lose. And so he goes down to this prophet called Elisha. And Elisha meets with Naaman. And Elisha says to Naaman, I want you to go to the River Jordan. And I want you to dip yourself in the water seven times. And so he thinks to himself, okay. And he makes his way. And um, he almost gives up on the whole idea. But, you know, he says, well, why, why should I wash myself in the River Jordan? I have rivers back home. Did I come really for this? But then his servants are saying, well, you might as well try. You have nothing to lose. And so he comes to the River Jordan and he dips himself once into the river and he comes up and he still has leprosy. He dips himself in the second time and he comes up and he still has leprosy. What if after six times he said, you know what, this is not working, I'm going home. Would he have gone home with leprosy? Yes. Is God specific? Yes. And so when he goes down that seventh time into the water and he comes up out of the water that seventh time, guess what? He is healed from his leprosy. My friends, when God speaks through his word, he is specific. And the more specific we can be with, being in a, with aligning our lives in obedience to his word, the more blessings we can receive. And so God says very plainly, I created the world in six days, but on the seventh day I rested. On the seventh day, that's the day I sanctified. That's the day I want you to refrain from your work. That's the day I want to meet with you and your people. That's the day that I want to dwell with you and build that friendship with you. I mean, you have an appointment with God, and that appointment with God is a weekly appointment. Oh, yes, you should meet with God every day, and of course you pray every day, and, 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 and I hope that you use time with His Word uh, day by day, but, but there's a special moment in the week. There's a special day in the week, and it's that seventh-day Sabbath, a day in which God says to you, come into my rest, refrain from work, enter into my rest physically, spiritually, mentally, and God will give you that gift if you receive it. Well, the commandments were written in stone for many, many years ago, but in this new covenant that we live in now, God wants to write his commandments in our heart, in our mind. He wants to establish this gift in our lives if we just remember the Sabbath 
It's interesting that the very commandment, the fourth commandment, starts with the word remember. It says, remember the Sabbath. And what a fitting word to begin with, because in our world today, the Sabbath has been forgotten. The Sabbath has been laid aside. The Sabbath has been neglected. The Sabbath has been changed. But God, in his mercy and through his word, is speaking to us tonight and says, remember the Sabbath. Remember the seventh day. I said this yesterday, but it bears repeating. You know, it's interesting that um, in many religions today, we find either a sanctified object or a sanctified place. You look at Islam, they have a sanctified place. Uh, if you're a good uh, Muslim, you are to make that pilgrimage to Mecca once in your life. And, and then you have Hinduism and Buddhism where you have sanctified objects and you need to obtain that object. But with God, it's different. God does not sanctify a place or an object, but according to God's word, the very first thing he sanctifies is time. And the fact that God sanctifies time is very significant because when it comes to time, it's not something you can go to and it's not something you can obtain. Time comes to you. The Sabbath comes to you. And God is offering his gift of salvation in his Sabbath. And he says, if you keep my Sabbath, you remember that I created you. You remember that I redeemed you. And you remember that you belong to me. And tonight, you belong to God. Tonight, you can say, you know what? I want to receive this incredible gift I want to say yes to God's Seventh-day Sabbath. And at this time, I just want to ask um, uh, the people that have the cards to share them out because um, in the course of this prophecy seminar, we want to give you the opportunity to respond to some of the things that we've been learning together. And um, I think this is a good opportunity tonight because I'm sure that, 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 that what you have heard for, for, for some of you or many of you, this might be new, but... It's an opportunity to say, you know what? This is a gift that I want to receive tonight. This is something that I want to say yes to tonight. This, this gift of God's Sabbath. And so if, when you receive your card, we're going to just take a moment to go through it together before we close with a word of prayer. So I just want to make sure that everyone gets a card. If you need a pen, just put up your hand and maybe we have some pens available. I hope so. And um, we'll just take a short moment to respond here. And then we'll have a closing prayer and um, then we'll be gathering again tomorrow. But just, just take this moment to fill out this card. It will be helpful for us and it will be very helpful for yourself to be able to respond to um, the very scriptural teachings that we, are, um, that we are examining together. So if you have the card, let's just go through it quickly. Three, there are three points here. The first, it says, I love God so much that in all things I want to do what he has commanded. If that's your desire tonight, you can check off that first box. Again, I love God so much that in all things I want to do what he has commanded. If you say, you know, that's, that's my decision this evening, you can check off that first box. Secondly, it says, I see the importance of the Sabbath and it is my determination to do what God has said. And, and again, maybe this is new for you tonight. And, and maybe you don't really understand exactly how all this is going to work out. But, but for the first step is really saying, like, I can see, Lord, the importance of it. And I want to determine already now to be faithful to you. And, and, and God will work out the details. He will, he will lead you step by step what that will look like in your life. But tonight, you can say, I see the importance of the Sabbath. And it is my determination to do what God has said. And then finally, the third box, it says, I have decided to accept Jesus fully as my Savior and Lord. And some of you maybe already made that decision, but you can just um, make, that, make that decision again tonight as you say, you know what, I just want to um, take that step again and say, you know what, I accept Jesus fully, both as my Savior, that he has saved me and set me free, but also as my Lord, because it's easy for us to accept Jesus as our Savior, and we should accept him as our savior, but, but Jesus is more than our savior. He's also our Lord, amen? He's also our king. And when we live in his kingdom and we live under his lordship, then that also means to abide by his commandments. And one of those commandments is regarding his seventh day Sabbath, an incredible gift. Well, thank you for taking the time to fill out that card. And as you, as you leave the hall tonight, just make sure you give it to one of our, one of our people here that are gathering it together. And then we will have a closing word of prayer now, and then we'll meet again tomorrow evening. So let's pray together, shall we? 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us this evening. Thank you so much for your Sabbath truth. Thank you, Lord, that in Scripture you have given us a pattern of how we are to live our lives. Thank you, Lord, that that seventh day is a time that we can spend with you. And I pray that as we receive the gift of the Sabbath, that you will give us a rich experience and blessing through it. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your law, not only in the beginning of time, but that this law is, 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 is still something sacred and beautiful, even in the end of time. And we know that, 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 that the world is waiting to see your character revealed. And I pray that we may be among those that will be able to reveal your character, Lord, through your grace and through your strength. So thank you for being with us this evening and bring us back tomorrow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.